This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 335, The Periodic Table of Abundance 6, Building a Better World Through Business Ownership, Tax Strategy, and Giving. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. You found us neck deep in our mini-series on the periodic table of financial abundance. So far, we've covered quite a bit of ground, and I just want to congratulate you for your desire to learn about this wonderful and beautiful financial universe. The more we can all explore, the more tools in your tool belt, uh, the more abundant your financial life will be. So we started off by looking at your mindset learning about how to grow a growth mindset to truly scale up and even overcome adversities. That's central to everything else we're going to do. We talked about the people in our money team, which include your financial professionals, our family, and more. The people to whom we will leave our estate are really our team players. They're all really our team players that help make sure that we're on the right track and help keep us focused on our success. And then we dug into two core characteristics of money no matter where we keep it. And those two elements are the element of liquidity and cash flow. Now, we need both elements in order to survive when it comes to water. Yeah, our water needs to be safely stored, and it needs to flow when we're ready for it. We need that same thing with our money. Next, we talked about the secrets of leverage using insurance contracts, the importance of banking in our lives. We touched briefly on the bank on yourself concept in that episode, but I'm sure you can see how bank on yourself really touches many, if not most, if not all of the elements in our financial universe. And in our next episode, after that, we got into real estate and investing. That was part five, just the last episode. And so today we're diving still further into the investing part of our periodic table, but this week we're looking specifically at business ownership. Now, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, who is the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, really digs into this idea. He, He owes real estate and business ownership as essential in helping him break free from financial mediocrity and into true financial abundance and choice. So in his follow-up book, after Rich Dad, Poor Dad, his follow-up book, The Cash Flow Quadrant, he describes four different money personalities or, or destinies. He calls it the ESBI quadrant. Now, those four are the employee, the specialist, the big business owner, and the investor. Now, in the E category, employees generate income by agreeing to do work in exchange for a salary. Pretty typical. These employees have a boss and a paycheck. Now, Robert Kiyosaki says the employees choose the E category because they're valuing security. They're valuing certainty. And yeah, traditional thinking says the E category, uh, which is like day jobs, are stable because they offer steady income, clear jobs descriptions. Uh, But there are some major downsides. Robert Kiyosaki says the biggest disadvantage of the E category is the lack of control over your own work. So Robert Kiyosaki is quick to point out some of the downsides of being an employee, and certainly he's found his success outside of the day job. 
but you know, there are plenty of honorable professions. There are researchers, professors, chefs, teachers, for example, all of them make a salary and they attract people who are interested in that particular kind of work offered in the E category. Next up is the S category, small business owners, or we might call them the self-employed or the specialists. Sometimes Robert refers to them as that. These are people who are their own boss and they might even be the boss of other people, but without their labor, their expertise, their management, the business just cannot run. Their income is the profit from their business. That's where the S gets their income. So Kiyosaki says people who choose the S category look for it because they value security and excellence in their work. Now, according to Robert Kiyosaki, people in the S category see it as a more stable way to generate income because they have the most control. But the biggest disadvantage here is that most S category businesses fail. And typically they have the highest taxes too, which we'll talk more about soon. Now in the E and the S quadrants, the more you work, the more you have to work. Let me say that again. In these two quadrants, the more you work, the more you have to work. And the more your income is tied to your ability to work. And actually, the more that's true, the more risk you have if your abilities stop. Maybe you have a disability. Maybe you get fired. Maybe you just lose interest in your work or your business. So what about the other two quadrants? The third and the fourth quadrant include the business owners and investors. Now, these business owners have figured out that they are not their business. Yeah, they are not their business. It's, there's a difference there. Instead, the business owners employ other people to work for them, and they grow their business through leveraging other people's time. People in this quadrant might still be doing the stuff of their business. They might still be participating, but they're they're no longer the ones that the business depends on. Their income does not stop just because they got disabled or went on a long vacation. Uh, So people are already working for them, and they've secured and generated wealth in the process Uh, by going on to becoming investors themselves. Now, these folks on these two quadrants have both achieved financial independence, and they've become successful in their business and in their investment portfolio. Now, there are so many advantages to owning a business, both in the short term and the long term. First of all, it gives you independence. You have the freedom to make your own decisions, set your own schedule, choose your own goals and destiny. You don't have to answer to some boss or follow somebody else's rules, or even compromise on your own vision. And you can spend your most valuable resource, which is your time on earth, in the best and most appropriate way you know how to do. So when you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. That's something a mentor once told me. When you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. And I can candidly say, when I was working as an employee, I oftentimes hated what I did. I felt like I was wasting the time I had, and I'm sure I wasn't a very good employee. When I turned my attention to entrepreneurship, this is through the the good graces of my wife who pointed me in the right direction here. When I turned my attention to entrepreneurship and business ownership, a world of freedom and opportunity opened up to me. Yes, it was super scary not to have that consistent paycheck at the beginning. But then I realized the risk was the W-2. The risk was the W-2. And that's something that Chris Prefontaine and Brian O'Neill, friends of mine, um, they introduced me to that concept. The risk is the W-2. When you have an employee job, when you have one customer to keep happy, that'd be your boss, by the way. When you have one customer, that's a risk. But when you own a business and you have even just 100 customers, losing one customer means you still have 99 streams of income 
and a boss ain't one. All right, so add to this that you can set your own income. That's a key piece to being a business owner. As a business owner, you have the potential to earn more income than as just a mere employee. You get to set your own prices. You get to keep all of your profits if you want. You can certainly reinvest your income back into your business to grow it even greater. And there's some incredible tax deductions and credits available only to business owners that your typical employee just doesn't have access to. For example, there's a qualified business income deduction in the current tax law that allows you to deduct up to 20% of your business income from your taxes, which again, I'll talk more about taxes here soon. So of course, if you play your cards right, you can build a really successful business. Uh, You're also building in that business an asset in your portfolio. It's called, yeah, your business. As a business owner, you can build wealth by increasing the value of your business over time. The larger your customer base, the larger and more profitable your business, the better you can be able to sell that business in the future someday. So you can also pass on your business to your family, your kids, your heirs. So you don't have to start their business off from scratch. Maybe you get into the business of franchising, something that I talked about in great detail back in episode 319. In fact, there are so many ways to create for yourself a golden parachute uh, for you or for your employees. And again, if you want to hear more about that, go way back to episode 177. I did a great episode with Sari Ibrahim talking about ways to create golden parachutes as you exit your business. So I know a lot of people who are clients and colleagues who use their business as a form of asset protection or diversification. So buying up some real estate for your business, for example, or alternative investments to create some passive income. So all of this business ownership brings us now to taxes. Yes, yes, I know. We were having so much fun talking about the business ownership element here, but realize that the more income you make in your business, the more the government wants to take. So this brings us to the tax strategy financial element in our periodic table. Now, If you can manage this right, you can actually see even further growth and wealth accumulate in your life through the tax strategies that we talk about with our clients and that you can learn about through our podcast and and find out through your accountant, of course. And while I'm not a tax accountant, as a certified financial planner, I do sit down with clients and review their overall tax orientation and strategies for helping them reduce or eliminate the tax man in their life. Now, while these tax strategies might seem boring to some, maybe daunting to others, at its core, the tax strategy is the realization, it's a realization that the tax code is nothing more than a series of incentives. That's right. The government has a wish list of how all their citizens should act. And they use the taxes and their tax code both as a carrot and a stick. For example, the reason why real estate has so many tax advantages, I believe, is because the government made a choice long ago not to build all the housing for the American citizens. They would much prefer to give you a break on how much they're going to take out of your income if you just build some houses, manage some land, be a landlord, etc., etc. And given this alternative, when I look at the state-run housing in communist countries, I'm pretty thankful that not only do we have private property, but the government actually encourages us to develop it and to make it as nice as possible for the people living there. So as a business owner, you have more options, more flexibility to reduce your tax liability and optimize for cash flow. So this is the first thing. The first thing you can do as a business owner is to incorporate your business, 
either as a sole proprietorship or a partnership, an LLC, or an S or C corporation. There are all sorts of reasons uh, to do one or the other. So talk to an accountant or an attorney for more details there. Now, there's all sorts of research and development credits you can take advantage of. There's the work opportunity credit if you hire employees. There's the energy efficiency credit and so much more. And because you're in more control as a business owner, you can also time certain things like the income you have in your business or your expenses. So maybe you wait to pay yourself until the following tax year, for example. Or you might decide to pay your taxes early and get a deduction for it in the current year. How cool is that? Hiring other employees, that can be one of the best things you can do, not just to help your fellow man, but in lowering your tax bill as well. Again, remember, the tax law is just a series of incentives. The government does not want a nation of unemployed people, so they will greatly incentivize you if you're willing to hire them instead. So being the owner of a bank-on-yourself type whole life policy also allows you to implement large portions of the tax code in your favor. Because the government does not want to get in the business of supporting widows and orphans, it has maintained for 100 plus years a long list of tax advantages for life insurance. So do you guys realize that right now, as of this recording, the federal U.S. debt clock stands at $33.9 trillion. And the Congressional Budget Office says, and I quote, Americans will be paying this deficit for decades, end quote. So where do you think Congress is going to get all the money from when it comes time to pay this bill, this all this debt, $33.9 trillion? Are they going to pull money from people who don't have anything saved? Or is Congress going to take money from the people who have something saved? That's right. It's a pretty easy question. And if you've saved money in bank savings accounts or 401ks and the like, where do you think Congress is going to get the money to pay off all this debt? when it ultimately comes due. Or even worse, if they never get around to paying this debt off, won't that just add even more inflation, eroding the value of what little savings you've set aside? You can avoid all this with a bank on yourself type whole life policy as a strategy to shield yourself from higher taxes and expenses. First of all, you can access both your principal and your gains tax-free. The tax law says that The income you take from life insurance policies is not even reported to the IRS. Of course, if you're saving money in a tax-deferred government-controlled retirement account like a 401k or an IRA, please realize that every penny you put into those accounts, plus all of its growth, will be taxed when you receive the money in the future. And my experience is that most people don't realize that a third or even up to a half of your 401k or retirement account does not belong to you, but it ultimately will go to Uncle Sam instead. Imagine how it's going to feel to have a bank-on-yourself type policy if tax rates double or even triple in the future. But because you were savvy enough to set up a bank-on-yourself policy, you're taking the money out legally and paying zero on taxes throughout your retirement income that you might be pulling from the policy. So in addition to income tax, you don't pay any capital gains taxes as you might with typical investments. And since bank on yourself type policies are not considered an investment, you don't have to worry about capital gains taxes. It's not an investment because it's an insurance contract, which is guaranteed never to lose money. So in addition, taking funds from a life insurance policy may reduce your taxes that you might otherwise have to pay on things like social security 
Or if you take money from 401ks and IRAs, it might actually increase the premiums you pay on Medicare. Not so when you pull money out of a life insurance policy. As my colleague Doug Peacock, another bank on yourself professional, likes to say, the government has nowhere to let you write the income you're pulling from your life insurance on their tax return each year. This means you can be pulling out six figures of income and not report it to the government. Not to mention that you can leave your family an income tax-free gift when you pass away, which is not considered taxable to those who receive it. And if we've designed the policy properly with dividend-paying whole life insurance, this will be an increasing death benefit that passes on to your loved ones. And in fact, many of our clients' death benefits have already doubled or even tripled since they set up the policies. And finally, we can use the policy's death benefit during our lifetime to pay for things like chronic illnesses or terminal illnesses, that sort of thing. So here's a bonus way to use your policy to benefit you when it comes to paying taxes. Now, what if you could use your policy to pay the remaining tax bill that you might still owe at the end of the year? If you, like many business owners, owe taxes, wouldn't it help to build your wealth up in the policy and then use that policy loan feature to pay your tax bill at the same time? Wouldn't that be the ultimate solution to any tax bill that you still have to pay? Now, I've personally been doing this for years, and while it's not right for everybody, it can be a great way to let your policy grow, even when you use it to pay your tax bill. If you want to hear more about this, check out our strategy clear back in episode 86 and 87. Finally, as we wrap up, we're going to shift gears from taxes. Let's wrap up by talking about one more incredible way to put all your income to work from your investing, your business ownership, and even your tax strategy, and that is charity and giving. So this ties in, of course, with our estate planning element that we talked about earlier, but I want to differentiate this element because we don't just leave money to someone when we die. That'd be our estate planning. Hopefully we're building a life of abundance, which allows us to give and realize that there's always more where that came from. Hear that again, guys. There's always more where that came from. The world is abundant. When we give from our abundance, we implement and attract the abundance that we're still seeking in our own life. I know that sounds really weird. It sounds counterintuitive, but for thousands of years, religious communities have implemented the practice of tithing, not as some sort of social welfare program, not as some sort of accounting trick, but as a spiritual practice. This ties into our family finance element and our scale up element and even our tax strategy, guys. That's right. When you give, our government appreciates it. And remember, the tax law is a series of incentives. So the government loves it when you can give to charity and they're willing to give you a deduction on your tax bill when you give. So while there are plenty of handouts to be gobbled up by our government, their tax code still indicates they would love for the majority of social welfare in this country not to come from the government, but to come from fellow neighbors. The tax law still encourages that. And when you are that benefactor, when you're the giver, when you are willing to give of your own means to your fellow man, you're going to get a big tax deduction. But it's not all about the numbers. Charity improves your happiness and well-being as well. Studies have shown that giving to others can actually increase your happiness and satisfaction and your self-concept. It'll reduce your stress, your depression. It'll improve even your physical, mental, and social health. So when you're happier and healthier, you're more likely to be attractive and attract positive opportunities and and experiences. When you get those, you'll be more likely to enjoy those opportunities, those experiences even more. So this means that giving also gives you the chance to connect with other people, 
to strengthen your bonds within your family or community, your favorite charity. So when you give, you're more likely to receive. And that's almost a ripple effect of generosity and kindness that you are creating when you give. And as strange as it sounds to say it out loud, charity can boost your financial abundance. Yes, giving to others can actually increase your income in both direct ways and also indirect ways. So for example, just by giving, you increase your personal self-worth and you attract what you believe about yourself. That's what Brian Tracy says in his audio series, The Psychology of Achievement. We need to believe in the law of expectations, as he he calls it, and as well as the law of correspondence. So whatever you believe about your inner world is what you'll find in your outer world. Create an inner world that reflects what you want to enjoy in the outer world. So this includes your relationships and your health and even your finance. When you give to others, you'll find other people starting to give to you. There's almost a feedback loop of generosity and gratitude which attracts more abundance into your own life. And when you give, you increase your own prosperity by aligning your money and your values with your passion and your causes in your life. More than just stockpiling a bunch of cash for yourself. But how do you practice charity effectively? How do you choose the best charities to support? How do you measure the impact of your giving? Now, guys, these are all crucial questions to ask, and there's really no one-size-fits-all answer. But To do it well, I recommend that you have a clear goal of what you want and set up a budget and develop a plan of action for giving. Make it a goal. You know, decide what you want in the world. What do you want this world to look like when you leave it behind? Figure out how much you can afford to give and how often. Set time on your calendar or meet with a friend to talk about the charities you're researching and then commit to taking some action. You can do your research with websites like Charity Watch and GiveWell. So check those out. And by the way, if you're looking for ways to double the impact of your giving without paying any more out of pocket, I recommend you jump back to episode 169, where we talk about using a bank on yourself type policy to make the charitable contributions to your favorite charity. Not just leaving the death benefit to the charity, but also using the cash value to help your favorite charity or ministry succeed. So that's it for this week's episode. Again, in our high-speed chase to cover the entire financial universe, we still have only two episodes left. So next week, it's all about the power of collateralization, and we'll dip into the true meaning of financial independence. So thank you for joining me this week for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.